Hey guys, Kevin here from Left of the Valley. Uh, thank you so much for listening to our last show. By that, of course, I mean last show of the year, of 2016. Now, I've got to warn you, we took this show on the road and we went to a place in Agassiz, to a little coffee shop. Uh, we installed speakers instead of having our usual headphone accoutrement. And unfortunately, it creates a bit of distortion. So there is a bit of uh, a distortion, especially at the beginning of the show. It does get a bit better towards the end, but I apologize in ahead for the sound quality. But thank you so much for supporting us. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Jeff D. Hi, my name is Gary Savard. Check it out, Bob Brinkman. I am the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson. Hi, this is Jody Emery. Hi, I'm Aaron Ron. Hi, I'm James Randi. Hi, this is Phil Ferguson. Hi, I'm Michael Shermer. Hi, I'm Eli Bosnick. Hi, this is David Silverman from American Atheists, and I took a left at the valley. And that was the best turn I ever made. Uh... <laughs> I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that, but with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith in unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist, atheist, atheist. <laughs> He wasn't allowed to play Henry Gaines because he always won Kevin. And she taught Prancer all the right moves on the dance floor. <laughs> Deb. Seriously. Yeah, come on. Guys, Prancer? I don't get Vixen? You can have Vixen too I if you want. Like Vixen. Why not? Yeah, Guys, welcome yeah. back. Yeah, I like Vixen too. Yeah. You're a good Vixen. Welcome back to what is to be the last show of the year. I hope I, uh, we're here recording actually at Wooden Beans in Agassiz. And, uh, you're not hearing? Where the yeah. food is fantastic. Where the food the is fantastic, is where the coffee is even better. <laughs> and thank you so much to the owners of Wooden Beans A for letting us record here. So if you hear some background noise of customers walking in and out, that's because uh, that's what's happening. Oh, it's nice and cozy, and the goodies are fantastic. Mm. Exactly. You betcha. Guys, we had another great year. Congratulations. I know it's it's impossible to think that a whole year has gone by. It seems like we were just doing this last week, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. It's been a fast year. Yes. And uh, it's it's been an interesting year of changes for all of us. But there's something I need to point out um, today. Of course, is Deb's birthday. Yep, it's yeah. true. Another solar return. And she's turning <laughs> 29. Yep, <laughs> it's true. Again, happy, happy birthday and many more. Thank you. And all better than this one. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, hope the best for you. Wishes and another uh, turn around the uh, solar system. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'll take them as they come. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so today we're going to be doing a show about Christmas and we're going to be talking about different traditions of Christmas, Santa and uh, everything that's been going around. And uh, we're not going to be talking too much about religion, but we are going to be talking about different shades of Santa. So that should be interesting and fun. Does Christmas mean anything to you guys? 
in particular? You guys really like Christmas? Yes, no? I'm more of a Thanksgiving person. When my kids were little, I was a big Christmas person because you had to get into it with the kids. But Your American roots, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, the older I get, the farther away I get from the Christmas part, and I look at the commercialism, and I think, nah, I just want to go back to when the kids were so, you know, thrilled to get, get little presents, you yeah. so. Yeah, I think that's a good. But it's fun. A good point, though. It yeah. it is really about kids. It's children, it right? When I was young, I was raised in a multi-religious uh, household, and so we celebrated all sorts of things. And it started early in December, and you know, whenever Hanukkah was happening, and it extended through the Christmas holiday and New Year's, of course, is the week after. So it just seemed like the whole dark winter was brightened up and it was. and it was just one ginormous celebration and yeah. um yeah, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, my house too we had a, a, a Jewish Christian non-religious, you know, whatever comes that's fun, let's do it type of a yeah. Christmas time and it was all family. Yeah. So it was it was yeah. great. Good memories. And the focus was on kids and, and oh, entertaining yeah. them Absolutely. and keeping them busy and you know, probably jacked up on too much sugar and the parents got what they deserved in that moment. But <laughs> 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 but it was all about keeping us occupied through the, um, you know, school time, vacation for the holidays, all that. Just, you know, from one household to the next where we would go for meals and, yeah. and party play, party play, party play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it was always sad to take the decorations down because then the house always looked so empty. A little anticlimactic, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So the show today is going to be a whole bunch of uh, different things. We're going to make it nice and light. We're not going to go into deep into our usual stuff, although we will do some of our usual things. <laughs> Speaking of which, Nancy, my dear, are you ready to go with your segment? I'm always ready to go. Dashing through history. (laughs) Here we go. This Day in History, which is a roundup of those people and events who illuminated the days between December 12th to the 18th. Uh, December the 12th, I'm going to butcher this name, Kevin. You know I'm just not good at at anything that isn't simple. How can you butcher my name? Here we go. (laughs) The Feast of Masa'il, which is the questions, um, which is the first day of the 15th month of the Baha'i calendar. Love Baha'is. I've known quite a number, and they're very compassionate, very socially active um, individuals, and always bring a new perspective to whatever it is that you're you're talking about. So there's a big push for Baha'i faith in the uh, in Abbasid. Yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty active. Was, yeah, they're they're extremely active and a and a really good group. I was uh, active with them for a while and, and really enjoyed enjoyed internationally. Their they've been facing lots of persecution for a long, long time. Absolutely. So it's nice to see that they've got such a standing here on this side yeah. of the planet. I didn't know Absolutely. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on December the 12th in 1963, um, a lady whose name is Maria Gopert Mayer, it could be Mayer or Meyer, hard, hard to tell. Anyway, this lovely lady accepted the Nobel Prize in Physics, and she was the second woman to receive that honor after Marie Curie and um, Marie Curie did hers in 1903, so we've got a 60-year gap before um, another woman got the uh, Nobel Prize. During World War II, she's a fascinating woman. She worked for the Manhattan Project at Columbia and Isotope Separation with Edward Teller. Um, she worked at the Los Alamos Laboratory on the development of Teller's Superbomb. And then after the war, she became a voluntary associate 
professor of physics at the University of Chicago, where Teller and her husband work, and a senior physicist at the nearby Argonne National Laboratory. And she developed a mathematical model for the structure of nuclear shells, for which she was awarded the Nobel Prize. And she shared that with a fellow named Hans D. Jensen, um, and uh, in 1960, she was appointed full professor of physics at the University of California at San Diego. So I went through this a little bit more in depth because we don't really recognize women who contributed that fully and that um, com- that uh, um, de- in a dedicated way, you know, to, to science, to science of physics. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think she probably was especially an inspir- in that day and age. In that day and age. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure she's been an inspiration for a lot of women to follow. But she was a groundbreaker, you know, in, in a lot of different ways. Um, at, at December 13th, moving on is Acadian Remembrance Day. Uh, December 15th is International Tea Day. And in 1964, on the 15th, Canada adopted the new national flag that featured our iconic red maple leaf on a white background. Oh, I want to hear that story. Pardon? I want to hear that story. Oh, that's a great story. In 1964, Prime Minister Pearson formed a committee to resolve the issue um, that sparked a very serious debate about a flag change because they wanted to replace the Union flag. Out of three choices, the maple leaf design by George Stanley based the flag um, on the Royal Military College of Canada. And the flag made its first official appearance on February the 15th, 1965, which is celebrated as the National Flag Day of National Flag of Canada Day. I'll get it. I'll get it right. I really will. <laughs> December 7th. <laughs> December 17th. In 1903, the first man-powered, sustained, and controlled airplane flights Those Wright were brothers, by betcha. the Wright brothers. Sure. Why do I know this? Yeah. Why would I know Because that. December 17th is the best day ever. Point for them. That's right. Uh, we, it, many things took flight on that day, right, Miss mm-hmm. Deb? Absolutely. Yes. So their plane was called the Flyer, and it was a wood and fabric biplane at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. North Carolina really had a great reputation up until about a couple of years ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> years ago, North Carolina. We can Carolina still talk about North Carolina during the glory days. Right? <laughs> My son is currently living there, and um, he called me to wish me happy birthday and said, Mom, you will be surprised. My birthday is December 17th. Of course, that's why I know about the Wright Brothers. Yeah. And he says, uh, you'll be surprised, Mom. Um, no one here wants to um, you know, share the, the Wright Brothers' first flight. Um, took place in Kitty Hawk, of course, but no one will claim the Wright brothers. They were from Ohio. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, really? Who knew that? I, Who knew? I didn't know where they were from. Yeah. You know, I just assumed they were from North Carolina if they're having their first flight there, but apparently no. Uh, yeah. They, yeah. Well, Conditions were correct Regardless of where they were from, they chose North Carolina yeah. for the flight, and that's what's important. It's always Ohio's fault. <laughs> yeah. Um, during that day, it was... 27 degrees Fahrenheit and at 10 o'clock they decided to attempt the flight with the flyer and Orville Wright launched from a track into the wind and the biplane flew low over the ground for 120 feet which is 37 millimeters meters meters, meters, (laughs) yeah Uh, 
a lot. I can't help it. I <laughs> so, I don't care. I, yes, I am a Canadian, even though I can't tell you what the difference is. But with the current exchange time. rate, it's probably about right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so for the first time, the machine-carrying man had been raised all by itself and in power into the air in full flight, flown forward without reduction of speed, and finally landed at a point as high as that from which it started. So they made three more flights in the next few hours, and then the last one with Wilbur Wright aboard, that was the longest, covering 260 meters. Wow. I did it! <laughs> in 57 seconds. The wind then upset the flyer, damaged it, and <gasps> it never flew again. It was a cool day, too, to do that. I mean, it was a 27 cold day. degrees. 37 degrees. Fahrenheit, I'm assuming. Fahrenheit, right? yeah. 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 So it was uh, about as cool cold day. as it was today, right? Something pretty like much, that. Yeah. Pretty much. In 1919, um, this is a lovely little story. It's, so it's a funny story. Albert Porta who was an expert seismographer and meteorologist, a scientific guy, mind you, predicted that a conjunction of six planets on this date would spell the end of the world. Again? Again? I know, again. Again. I mean... There's been so many doomsday. Yeah, I know. The collusion between stupidity and science uh, comes more often than we'd like. So the alignment of these planets, he said, would cause a magnetic current which would pierce the sun and thereby engulf the earth in flames. Logical. Pierce I mean, the sun? Yeah, any meteorologist Once would have told you. Once it's popped, you can never go <laughs> yeah, back. Absolutely. As the date approached, believe it or not, suicides and hysteria were reported throughout the world. And unbelievably, the event did not occur. No. Really? And even more unbelief. His career as a meteorologist was ruined. No. Who would have thunk it? Mm. This is what happened. Oh, this is back in the day when the meteorologists actually had to get it right and they keep their jobs. Nowadays, they can well, get it right the half the time and the still time. keep their jobs. If you're asking but star you advice, astrological advice from meteorologists, you deserve this. <laughs> I mean, really something. So he left the field as a meteorologist and became a journalist. <laughs> oh, no. I know. What a fall from grace. However, you know, jur- journalists get more of a bad rap sometimes than, than, <laughs> they, de- than they deserve. So on September the again. 17th, again, Miss Dale, 1979, Hollywood stuntman by the name of Stan Barrett blasted across a dry lake bed at California's Edwards Air Force Base in a rocket and missile-powered car. The blue plane. The first person to travel faster than the speed of sound on land. He didn't set an official record because the radar scanner was acting up, unfortunately. So his IT issues existed even then. Yeah, his Mm -hmm. top speed was 739.666 mile an hour, and it became only an estimate, unfortunately. But he knew he did it. He was a double for Paul Newman in, what movie was that when he did the racing... Uh, he, he actually did uh, the, the races anyway. So that was in 1997, whatever film that was. So December 18th, yeah. I- tomorrow, is International Migrants Day. And in 1898, an automobile speed record was set at 63 um, kilometers per hour, which is 39 miles per hour. Um, Count Gaston de Chasselou Labat took his Gento automobile at top speed 
over a one-kilometer strip during an exhibition arranged by a French magazine, and he hit that average speed of 63 kilometers per hour or 39 miles per hour. I have to repeat it because I got it right twice. <laughs> I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> the first land speed record. And that, dear listeners, brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and occasionally bizarre events and people that make up this day in history. Thank you very much, Nancy, for another entertaining bit. Did you want to add something? Oh, yeah. No, it was called the Blue Flame, I think, was the rocket-powered car that he used. And the uh, movie that you're trying to think of from 1997 was Cannonball Run, I think. Oh, Cannonball Run. Yeah, Hmm. very well done. All right. Well, normally this is the part where we switch to commercial, but I don't want to do that today. What I do want to do is... Things that make you go... We'll talk about one last little religious story for the year that happened right here in Canada. Now, did you know that student Islamists are mounting a coordinated campaign to expand Muslim religious services in the high schools of Canada's sixth largest city? So far, the authorities are proving uh, sympathetic, suspending a new policy meant to regulate student sermons. The uh, school board should not be policing religion, campaign leader Shamir Durrani told one of the November board meetings in Mississauga, Ontario. This is Mississauga, by the way, I should be pointing out. That heard, uh, that heard from Imam, parents, high school students, and university leaders of the Muslim Students Association, MSA, an organization founded for university students by members of the Muslim Brotherhood in 1963. The Muslim Brotherhood, right? They don't have a stellar reputation. Hmm. So talks of prayers and sermons might come as a surprise to those unaware of how widespread Muslim religious activity has become in some Canadian school jurisdictions. The changes started a decade ago when the Ontario provincial government encouraged accommodations of an individual's religious practice at workplace and schools. The first, at first, Muslim students were denied Friday congressional prayers and were told that they could only pray as individuals. And five years ago, however, the Toronto Sun reported that 800 students at Toronto's Valley Park Middle School were converting in the school's cafeteria as a temporary mosque every Friday during class hours. The boys praying on the front, girls praying behind them separately by a bar- uh, separate, sorry, sorry, separated by a barrier, and menstruating girls obliged to sit at the very back to observe the service but could not participate. You guys have seen some, some problems with this? So the uh, Toronto school trustees upheld the practice and... Uh, and since then, Friday congressional prayers have been spreading through the public school system ever since. One of Canada's highest Muslim concentration is in Mississauga, uh, the sixth, well, it's right by Toronto, of course. One of the city's 19 high school, 17 have a Muslim student association. 17 of them. The list of the 17 include Meadowvale Secondary, which temporarily banned its MSA 10 years ago after two alumni were caught co-leading a terrorist cell known as the Toronto 18 with plans to build buildings in downtown Toronto. A third cell member has led the school of prayers since. So apparently um, around September, the school board ruled that the students could not deliver their own sermons, but most chose from a, uh, but must choose from a bank of approved sermons written by a committee of six local imams. Themes were restricted to the board's stated ver- uh, values of caring, cooperation, honesty, inclusiveness, respect, and responsibility. The students pushed back. In a well-organized campaign, three levels of activism publicly petitioned school trustees to scrap mandatory use of the approved sermons. uh, They also demand that students be allowed to pray together every day, not just on Friday. 
Um, eliminate the prohibition of allowing students to pray together outside of Juma, which is Friday prayers. And this is convenient to the students, said the campaign leader uh, Durrani, a University of Toronto Mississauga students and activists for the Canadian Muslim Youth Federation. Policing this one group, Muslim, based on prejudice and control, could have serious psychological impacts, said a student of the same university. Um, this policy sets out to prohibit the discussion of Islamic belief in sermons, said Hama, sorry, Hamza Aziz, who is the MSA president at John Fraser Secondary. So members of the Muslim community, and several of them of these men that refused to stand up for the national anthem, accused the board of systemizing Islamophobia. Thing. That is so tangled. I don't know where to start. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I have no. First of all, I have an issue. I have no a new issue with like students participating in prayer. Um, I have new, even a new, no issue converting a, a class into a bit of a small mosque. If that's, uh, I, I have an issue with segregation. No, that's seg- cultural. You can't touch that. It's path. not cultural. That's the thing. It's religious. It's not culture. But that's part of their culture. Their, their religion, their religion has, a, has yes, a culture. That's fine. But you know what? If part of their culture was also to bash people, where would we draw the line? Well, but the practice... In Canada, you gotta, you got to respect Canadian cultures first. Okay. True. Regardless, True. They're, they're but, but the school has made way for this to happen. Yes. So are we angry because the only ones taking advantage of that allowance are the Muslims? No, no, that's fine. That's that's perfectly fine. But there are some things, though, that go against Canadian culture and Canadian values here. Uh, the idea of, you know, segregating women, first of all, should be an anti-Canadian thing and should not even be tolerated here. Uh, the idea of having these sermons given by people that are promoting jihad against, let's say, Jewish groups or anything like that should not be tolerated. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And if they if it can't be, they can't make the com- conform to the approved <laughs> curriculum. Yeah. That is what a school is for, is for approved curriculum. I mean, we sit on school boards and there are folks who design curriculum for students to learn that we understand is a, a general basis of understanding of information that we hold true in this moment, right? We have math, we have English, we have science classes, correct? Mm-hmm. That we all believe those hold a basis of information that we want all students to have, right? So if they've made allowances for the school to be used in this manner, then the curriculum that happens there needs to be approved as well, in my opinion. And if, if the group is not willing to conform to that, then the space doesn't get used for that. But then they will cry discrimination. They will cry religious discrimination. You're impeding my religious freedom. Is that, that was the point I was going to make. That this once they say the religious group can use the school facility and you disagree with the way they practice their religion, n- now you've got a real problem because you're saying, yes, you, we, we will give you the, fr- the, the, the place to freely express your religion, but we don't agree with it, so now we're going to limit it. And that the, the whole opening the door to allow this... But they would also this, scream discrimination if we made allowances on the playground for other children to practice whatever horrible atrocities we all know are possible 
against these students. They would claim, they would raise their hand and, and raise the religious flag and say it's because of this. And they might be true, that might be correct, but, 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 there's so many buts here. I'm yeah, completely I, conflicted. I, 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 I've been maintaining for a while now that it comes to a point that we're going to have to decide as a society that some, some rights from the Charter are more important or have a greater value, if you wish, than other rights. And right now they're pretty much all on the same foot. Uh, but, for example, the right to life should supersede the right to your religious freedom, right? And the way to explain this is to take it to the extreme. I know this is a ridiculous example, and it's an extreme example that doesn't happen. But let's say, for example, or let's, uh, let's, let's do an exercise in thought. Let's say, for example, you had the ancient cult of the thuggies. You guys are familiar with the thuggies? Oh, of course, no. yeah. They, they, they used they to worship Kali, the, the goddess of war, and one of their practices was to strangle people. Now imagine, it's an extreme example, it's not going to happen in this society, but it's, it's, it's just to illustrate my point. If you had a group of thuggies, could these, uh, under the law right now, these people could claim to be impeded in doing their religious practice by not being able to kill people, right? And this is where the, the right to life and to be protected should supersede your right to religious freedom. Of course. And we don't really have that right now. And this is, this is where religious groups like these Muslims right now are, are using that because we haven't determined this at this point. And it's not just for a Muslim group. It could be for a Catholic group, a Christian group, uh, in the, uh, Jane group, whatever. It could be for any religious denomination. Coming from America, we have separation of church and state. Does yes. that not exist here? Uh, it should. It, yes and no. Uh, in here, in, in, the, in the Canadian Constitution, there is an appeal to God at the beginning, uh, but it's, it's more symbolic than anything else. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled in 1987 that Canada was to rule and uh, obey law as a secular nation. Mm. Uh, but it's not enshrined in the Constitution like it is in the United States. Yeah, accommodation is, is a very tricky thing. It is. I, for instance, I think if the students, as part of their religion, that they need a place to pray, and that's part of their, their religion, that's part that's of their culture, to provide a quiet place, whether you're Jewish, a Satanist, a mm -hmm. Christian, or whatever, a quiet place for you to pray, that's, that's accommodation. Absolutely. But to have a complete service with during the day with a, a sermon, and the kids don't like the sermons that have been yeah, um, provided and for them. Hold on, hold on. Like hold on. I don't, I don't think I don't think it ever came up that the kids don't like it. We know straight away that kids aren't raising their hands saying that they don't like the sermon. Those would be parents that are behind oh, all of this. The story doesn't say that. I mean, so some, of these, some of these schools are actually from high school students. These are associations from high school students. <laughs> I, I also have a huge problem with women being discriminated against. Mm, no, but that's See. your problem, not their problem. Oh, if course. they had a problem with it, then you could get behind that stance. But you can't, I, again, you can't hand somebody something that they don't want, Kevin. Well, they, they already have that. That's the thing. Women have a, a right right here in this country to be treated as, uh, the same as a man. And you can't take that away. Whether or not you're willing to accept it or not. But it's available to you, but you have to have... No, would it's I not go just in there available and to you. It's a right. Would, would I go in there and expect to sit at the back of the room as a woman? Me? No. Why? Uh, because uh, I have rights. I disagree with you because right now when you're saying if you're willing to take it, that's, that's the definition of a privilege, not no, a right. No, but it's the same thing in America. Do women vote all the time? We had to fight, we had to fight for that right. Yes. But it's not mandatory. And how many women neglect on their right? Yeah, but you vote? have the right not to vote in America. True. Yeah. Well, you have the right not to sit in the front of the building. It's you can't tell me where I'm going to sit because no, you see, fine. you become just as oppressive as someone telling me where I can't. Yeah, but you t they're telling you where to sit. They're telling you not to sit up front. 
Right. And you have the right to sit up front. But if you tell me that you expect me to walk up front, no, and you don't want me to sit down. Then you're you're well, getting getting back getting, <laughs> yeah, back, getting to back getting back to the crux of the matter. I I think it, it, to, to go back to my point, if if they need a a quiet place to pray because that's part of that's fine. If they want to get more involved in the religious activities, then the school can make that available to them after school hours if they they want to do that. But I think no. during school hours in a secular building that has a cultural that's a Canadian culture, no. I think there is too much of a a conflict there. And I think in a society like the Canadian society that values multiculturalism, you get into these kinds of things all the time. Well, then how would you facilitate everybody's wishes, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, if, if these are publicly funded schools, then that means that the, the funding is coming from a very diverse nation, and we right. shouldn't favor one over the other. Right. So just keep it out of the schools, and then you solve that problem. You, have to, you have to either support everybody or nobody. Yes. That's right, because if the Satanists want to come in and they want to play, that's fine. You've opened the door to Muslims, Jews, mm-hmm. and Christians, then the Satanists will. But anything more than that, I think, after school and when the school, you know, then can provide that as a separate place because they have no other place to go, mm. then they can work out whatever agreement it is for them to, to okay. conduct. And because this is a Canadian school, right? It's all fine, but we do still come back to the whole... Um, conformity to those sermons, whatnot, right? I mean, yeah. we can't be tolerant of, of folks dictating hate or... But these people, that's right. what they're asking. They're yeah. asking. If, if an imam goes there, they're, they're asking that you're not going to value... You, you can do whatever speech you want as an imam. So if an imam goes to the school on a Friday afternoon and says, you know, uh, Armageddon will happen once we kill all the Jews, like you hear a lot, a lot of it happen, especially in Islamic countries... These people should not be allowed to say these kind of things to schools, to students. When they're in a multicultural school, yeah. It's just hate speech, right? So anyway, we're going to have to... I know, free speech, at at some point, free speech goes over the line and becomes hate speech. It it totally does. Determining that is a legal question sometimes, but you have the right to say say things, but you can't incite people to hateful action and, and activity and sometimes you get so close to that line I that it's difficult for vulnerable children to understand exactly that the, the, because yeah, they're not exactly. of an age where they can That's right. through and if there's somebody of power standing in front of them then they take it for what it's worth in that moment and they run with it. That's mm-hmm. how a lot of the skinheads got recruited because they wanted the kids young, you know, to be able to listen to all of this hate That's stuff. What religion so, does, you know, right? 16, 17, 18 right. is when all of these kids. Very impressionable. Yeah. Exactly. And, and of course, uh, especially when you have a religion like Islam, which is very, very misogynistic in a way, right? It's very male, it's very pro male. And you, you're appealing to high school students in the, the peak of testosterone boost. Yeah, I, I, I think it's almost done on purpose. I, I it seems to me, anyway. It gives me that impression. But it's definitely a story we're going to have to keep an eye on. And uh, But in the meantime, we do have the freedom to keep listening to the show. For sure. And we said we weren't going to get into any deep issues. So I'm going to be a light show about light show, light Santa. Show. <laughs> Santa, hello, where are you? We need you. Tis the season. And we'll be right back right after this. I'm the Supreme Reverend Dr. Randy Tyson from the Legion of Reason Diversion. Join me and my co-hosts, Christine Shoska, Twyla, and Nate Phelps, as we explore issues at the intersection of atheism, humanism, and skepticism. 
Topics range from alternative medicine to the interference of religion in public policy. We often have special guests to help us understand the topic du jour. Previous guests include biologist Jerry Coyne, ex-Muslim author Ali Rizvi, philosopher Peter Bogosian, and the late physicist Victor Stanger. You can watch us on the Leader in the Reason YouTube channel or subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcatchers such as iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to like the Leader in the Reason Facebook page. What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Centre. Please visit our website for more details at bchumanist.ca. Oh, hold on. Here we got the owner of the wooden beans coming and join us. And, and offering us some treats. Oh, we oh, love wow. it already. And they're Christian this time. Oh, oh my goodness. Are they made with real Christians? Coffee is better. They're made with real Christians. Can we can we bore you for a second? you get on the microphone? We just, we just want to ask you a quick question. What, what, is, what does Christmas mean to you? What does Christmas mean to you? What does it mean to me? Yes. Yes. It means being with my family and my loved ones. Speak closer to your microphone. Hello? Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. So that that, that is Pauline, the owner of the wooden beans that was so nice to grant us this. So what does Christmas mean to you, Mr. Family. 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 Can you be more specific? What do you like about Christmas? Being with my children. Their brats are here. Which we hardly ever see. Oh, no, I know. Because they're so busy to come and visit their mother. <laughs> Typical mother's lament. I know, I know. Yeah, I, I can relate. Is. Christmas is being with my family. Oh, perfect. Excellent. Good. Thank you so much. Do you want to put in a plug for your wooden beans while you're here? Sure. Come on down. Great coffee, great service. Where can they find you? And uh, we have some really good meat pies. <laughs> Christian meat pies. Mm. Christian meat pies. (laughs) Made in a Christian uh, coffee shop. Yeah, right. What's what's the address for uh, wooden beans? Unit 27010, Pioneer Avenue, Agassiz. Perfect. Thank you very much. Am I dismissed now? Yes, you are. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Bye now. And thank you you for the lovely Christian pies. Oh, you're quite welcome, all right, on the line, we have our friend Robert Butler. Hey, Robert, how you doing? Oh, fan-freaking-tastic. Merry Christmas, y'all. <laughs> Merry, Merry Christmas to you, too, sir. Oh, yeah, welcome <laughs> back. It's so good to, to hear you again. We're just great great to have you with us. Happy oh, It's great to be here. Robert, uh, you wanted you wanted to take a few minutes uh, on our show to uh, discuss what you've been what's been going on with the Church of the Basement Dragon, and as well what you're doing with your charity. So the mic is all yours, my friend. By all means, go for it. All right, great. Thank you very much. All right. Well, uh, in order to celebrate our growth, I have decided I wanted to do something charitable. I think good news and good things and good fortune should be spread around. 
And the concept came up of instead of doing a one and done uh, donation and maybe giving some vaccinations or something, we do something that is more long term. Uh, so to that end, I uh, filed incorporation paperwork in the state of Kentucky and started a, a website uh, that I call BD Giving, uh, which stands for Basement Dragon, of course. And uh, you can find that at bdgiving.org. I built the website myself. I'm actually pretty pleased with it. Uh, and the concept is a process of what I like to call Mountain Valley accrual. All right. Now, have you ever heard of microloans? Because if you haven't, I'll have to explain this. No, I haven't. So you, well, you have to explain it to the audience. Okay. So microlending is where you loan somebody a small amount of money so that they can do something that is significant to them. For example, uh, somebody in a third world country who runs a sewing shop might need a few pieces of new equipment. Uh, well, that is maybe expensive here, but it's very little there. So they need a 10 or 20 or $200 loan. We really can't get that from a bank. So these micro-lending charities exist that uh, you can give out this loan and they will repay it at no interest. And then you have the money again that you can do something again with. So the concept is we accumulate some money, vote within the group on what uh, needs we will meet, what loans we will make, and as the money comes in, we continue to accrue more donations, and we can make more loans, and those come back. And as that's coming back, we're still building up resources because we're still taking in donations. And eventually, we get up to what I like to call the peak of the mountain, and at that point, we go into the valley stage, which is where we undertake one massive project, such as underwriting a cost for an entire well in a third world country. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of the water project, but if you haven't, please Google that. Yes. It's a very, uh, it's a very good charity, and uh, they had the prices for various things that you can do. Donate $35, and that might provide uh, single-use water for one person. $12,000 lets you underwrite an entire project from start to finish and put an entire well in a village. So this process of accumulated disbursement, repayment, and accumulation hits multiple peaks until it's such a time as we have enough money to do something massive. Wonderful, what a wonderful idea. These little micro. So, could it be somebody like they can they apply for um, missing a payment on something? You know, you, like you may, uh, I don't know, you may you missed a payment on, I don't know, <laughs> supplies for a small business or something like that. Well, micro loans can be done for all kinds of things. Uh, Kiva is one of the bigger micro lending agencies, one of the charities that you can go through, and people put up requests on Kiva for all kinds of things. Uh, and you can actually sort it by region, by uh, various categories. Like you can do regions like North America, Central America, South America, conflict zones, women, men, health, social enterprises, food. Uh, there's even Kivas here in the United States, uh, art projects, all sorts of things. And there's ones for paying employees or building homes or buying cows. You name it, there's probably someone in need of it. That's interesting. So, so anybody can apply. Uh, yeah, I'm assuming you guys have to do some research to make sure that these guys are not trying to take advantage of uh, the charity 
and you just give them a small hand, something that, you know, like you said, a bank could not do. Yes. So basically, we would go through an organization like Kiva, which is a four-star, uh, or is it five-star? I don't recall offhand. I'd have to go into the website and look. But it's a highly rated charity. They do all that vetting for us. All we have to do is pick out the projects that we want, vote on which ones we're going to donate money to, and then we can meet those months. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, we certainly hope uh, we can uh, be of any help. Uh, what, what can we do? What can our listeners do? Well, uh, <clears throat> I'm getting the. I've got the website largely set up. At this point, the only thing that is remaining is to get our merchant services up to allow us to make donation to take donations through the site itself. To do that, we need the 5013C uh, filed with the IRS. So I have set up a GoFundMe to raise enough money to file that. So this would actually also be uh, what you might call uh, practice for us and learn how to, uh, in terms of raising money to fund ourselves to get started. Mm-hmm. So that's you know, excellent training for us in terms of, okay, we've got to raise this money for ourselves first so that we can kick off this project across the board. Uh, so donations to our GoFundMe. Uh, we're trying to raise $1,500. We just recently got this started. Uh, $400 of that goes to paying for the 501 filing and the remainder to fund a live event, create some basic merchandise to sell and whatnot to raise more money. Uh, so uh, our GoFundMe is gofundme.com slash bdgiving and uh, people can donate there and that will help us get started. Soon as begun, soon as done, they say. Fantastic. We'll, we'll keep in touch with that. And you're going to send us uh, some links so we can put that in notes of the show? Yes, I'll be happy to do that. Perfect. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate that. Oh, and by the way, uh, here your book is out. Oh, it's not out yet. I'm, it's going through the editing process right now. Oh, I saw a picture uh, on Facebook. Yes, it will, it will be out here shortly. Okay. Uh, what you yeah, saw on so Facebook was it's not It's going to be out. Through by, I want to have it done by, uh, by Christmas. So maybe another... Three weeks. Send us a link for that book as well, if you'd be so kind, Robert. Oh, I'd be happy to. I can send you a signed copy. People who are joining us that didn't have the pleasure of listening to uh, the the broadcast that you were on, so give us a little little insight into the into the book. All right. Well, it starts off really dealing with the origins of religion, uh, why it occurred in the first place, and. Uh, why it became popularized. I put forth a little scenario in there as one speculative hypothetical wherein somebody wanted something, told a lie, and got some, and got rewarded for it. Lying is as old as language. I'm convinced of that. But there is also psychological elements. The human predisposition towards agency. Uh, this is observed even in young children. They are predisposed to think that somebody is responsible for even purely naturalistic events. Uh, now, there's an evolutionary component to this. Uh, for example, let's take two cavemen uh, wandering the savannah a couple hundred thousand years ago, 200,000 years ago. Uh, they each hear the same noise. One of them thinks, okay, that was a dangerous predator. I'm out of here. The other one doesn't think that. Well, sometimes it was a predator, and the one that left did not get eaten, went on to reproduce, so we have a generated predisposition to assigning agency to the things around them. And agency is an easy way to explain 
things that are not otherwise explainable. Uh, fire leapt up from that tree when that bolt of something fell, it came down from the sky. Well, they don't know what electrons are, they don't know uh, how lightning works, but everything that they do understand about things being thrown is, well, something through that. Next thing you know, you have Zeus. Of course, and Zeus was trying to kill him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it, it's just an early attempt, really, at explaining things they couldn't explain. And it gets built into society, and people take advantage of it for their own personal gain. And before you know it, you have a culture centered around a system of beliefs that offer answers. And answers are one of the things that people need to feel satisfied. Nobody likes ignorance. Exactly. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Robert, for your time, and we'll keep an eye out for you, and thank you so much for giving us uh, some of your time here today, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wish you a Merry Christmas to you, too, sir. Oh, well, thank you. It's been uh, fantastic. I'll make sure to give you the uh, uh, link to the, uh, the page that I have put up, and uh, y'all can do with that as you see fit. Yep. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, we'll uh, we'll keep in touch, and we'll get uh, going on this journey, and we'll try to push you guys as much as we can. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Robert. Until next time. All right. Until next time. Happy holidays. And Oops. <laughs> and, and that was Robert. Yeah, we need to keep up with him and uh, come in here and see how the project goes. And maybe, uh, maybe he'll inspire other people to do exactly the same thing. Yeah, I hope so, too. I mean, uh, Robert's been a great guest, and he, we'll have him back on the show for sure. Oh, perfect. Uh, uh, right. So now let's go. We're supposed to be talking about Christmas. So let's Being good Christmas little music. Santa elves, we've got to bring Christmas back into the picture. Let's put some Christmas music in the background. Okay. <clears throat> All right. I guess today we're going to be talking about different things about Christmas, things we don't really know about Christmas. We've got a whole bunch of nice little stories. Kind of like a did you know about Christmas? Who wants to go first? Nobody? Okay, I will go first. Now, did you know there's a Christmas cat? That's right. There's a Christmas cat in Iceland. It's a giant terrifying cat that gobbles up children if they're bad. Because everything there is bigger. Everything's bigger in Iceland, apparently. <laughs> At Christmas time in Iceland, family give a warm clothing to each other in their household. But according to legend, there's a frightening Christmas cat who stalks the snowy countryside and gobbles up anyone not equipped for the cold and wintry weather. So I guess I Trust me, children, when your mom says to put on an extra scarf, you really should. That's right. That's right. Put on the scarf if you're in Iceland. That's not the place you want to be stuck with the cat. So the families in Iceland work together to ensure nobody will go to the Christmas cat. This terrifying Christmas cat is also referred as, as the Yule cat. The idea is that families give gifts uh, each other uh, new and warm clothes for the winter and make the Yule Cat an offering of some warm weather gear. If not, the Yule Cat will gobble up will gobble you up like fishy treats. The message is uh, passed on to children who are taught to work hard and if they don't, or if they're bad children, the Christmas Cat will get them. It's terrifying but apparently effective. There is a huge poem about the Yule Cat by uh, Johannes Ulm Putlum. I hope I got this right which describes a huge cat's sharp teeth and glaring yellow eyes 
along with the belief that one must work hard for Christmas to avoid being punished by the Yule Cat. Uh, do I want to read the poem? It's a long poem. I'm not going to read the poem. Okay. So, um, Iceland is uh, no stranger to frightening folklore. Perhaps living through the days of prolonged darkness will make any culture believe trolls and ogre. In fact, there is another Icelandic tradition regarding the trickster Yule lad and her mother, Grilla, who kidnaps, cooks, and eats disobedient kids. That's the legend. Grilla is the Yule cat's owner as well. It's one big baby-eating family for Icelandic wow. Christmas. Wow. <laughs> wow. Are you sure they're not Satanists? No, apparently they're just... No. Or atheists, maybe. Christmas they cats. eat babies too, right? Christmas cats. Ha-ha. You know, not everybody's got the Christmas spirit. No. I mean, you were telling me a story of uh, you just had an encounter. I did. I was at the grocery store. Out of the merry kind. Mm, well, all those shoppers were out in full force, and I had to stop at the grocery store where, again, I was faced with massive traffic, lots of people, and, of course, there are no short lines at the checkout station. So... I'm in line behind two women, <clears throat> and there's a line behind me. And, uh, yeah, the per- poor woman, first in to get her things, is trying to use um, a check uh, from the government to pay for her groceries. Mm-hmm. And, of course, she has a baby on her hip. She does not speak any English whatsoever. I'm in America, of course, at this point, and she's... Uh, speaking Spanish, trying to speak Spanish to explain to the checker that this is what she wants to do. And the checker takes a look at the check after this whole, um, you know, order has gone through. She's scanned all the items, bagged all the items. Now it's, we're at the payment place. And, and the check is dated for the 23rd of December. The check is no good, right? Can't use it right now. And the person in front of me has ice cream you know she's she's got several things on the on the conveyor belt and she's very concerned she's voicing her concern over the ice cream and how it's going to melt and we're sub sub freezing temperatures right now where i live and i'm thinking that's ridiculous that she's worried about melting ice cream and i'm overhearing this pseudo conversation between a person who doesn't speak english and a person who's trying to speak english and and this woman who's concerned about her ice cream starts raising her voice to the person who doesn't speak English because you know if you yell at people who don't speak your language that makes them understand what you're saying yeah oh, that's, yes. it. that's right, yeah, right. right. Yeah, yeah of course yeah. so we all the time in car so in car. I'm I'm processing and the woman behind me is talking about Christmas and Christmas giving and I'm thinking she's gonna step up and do something and nope she doesn't step up and do something and I am continuing on with too much you know information coming through my brain at one time with all these different conversations that are going on and I realize I'm the one who's supposed to do something. So not knowing what to say to get the attention of this woman who doesn't speak my language with the woman in front of me who is currently yelling in English, I said, Feliz Navidad. (laughs) And the, the Hispanic lady looks at me like, do you know something? And she tries to talk to me in Spanish. I have two years of high school Spanish. I can't say a darn thing it's except for ask for another beer, right? So, <laughs> so I, I hold up $10, right? And I point to the baby formula that has been bagged. 
and is waiting. And and I offer to pay for this because So you paid for her baby for Right, because the twenty third, I've gotten enough information. The twenty third is when this check is good for and it's a long way away. Yeah. Right? And I'm thinking, here's this baby on her hip and the baby's gonna need food before the twenty third. God knows if she has any formula at home. I don't know enough Spanish to ask that much. This is the least I can do is to offer to pay for this needy person's formula, right? Okay, so she's very happy, smiles, says gracias to me. That's great. I understand that much. I say de nada. That means it's nothing, which it's not. It's nothing, much like a microloan. To a person who can afford to do that, it's nothing. Would not make a difference in my life, exactly. that $10. Exactly. Right? But it made all the difference in hers. In, in that her moment. Too. In that moment. The woman in front of me who's complaining about the melting ice cream turns to me and says, oh, you just got scammed. She didn't need your money. You just paid for somebody, you know, right? You got taken advantage of. Here's the Grinch that stole Christmas right there. there, Exactly. And I say to her, you know, in this moment, I might have been scammed, but it doesn't matter. Because I go home tonight and I sleep well, knowing that I've done what I could do. I didn't offer to pay for her entire order. But I'm going to help her with her child because I have children of my own. And I have a sister who has children. I have a brother who has a family. I have daughters who may have children one day. And if they were ever in a position where they were worried about feeding their child, I want someone to step up and take them under their wing for a minute. Right? That $10 meant nothing. Right? It's easy to do. The woman behind me starts telling me how angels are alive on earth. <laughs> if she she's like this total <laughs> Christian thing, and I'm thinking, well, where were you in the time of need, lady? But, you know, that's yeah, just exactly. me and my judgment. So You've got anyway. all society's point of view right oh, there in line with you. <laughs> no, but it, it makes, it, it, it's, it's pretty amazing because, Nancy, I think you got it right on the nose. You know, the uh, the conservative person is yelling at this person of, of, the, of the, this Latino woman. Right. The Wiccan slash atheist is the one that actually pawns out the money, and then the Christian says, "Bless you, dear." Right, <laughs> right. So the the woman with the melting ice cream ultimately gets you know her turn in line. Complains because of course we needed a manager for an override on the cash register. It took too much time. She's all concerned, you know, blah blah blah. She's really really reading a riot act to this poor checker. <laughs> I get up. It's my now my turn. This ugly woman leaves and goes on her merry way and uh, and I said to the cashier you know all I'm not going to complain right all I can do is say thank you for your patience dealing with a situation that was near impossible to work through with a language barrier a, a financial barrier all these things and then on top of it all you have these other customers who are not in the, the spirit of Christmas or human life happens just what are we here for for each other this is exactly. crazy stuff. good story good story it's a good story i'd love to see a little ad made of that wouldn't that be a, a perfect ad to put yes. in this time of year yes yeah. absolutely wish we knew a produ- any production company that's listening <laughs> you know, you know, somebody like david silverman would jump all over that yeah now get your butt out of church i want you to do something for christmas yeah, instead exactly. you know? great story great story great story Dan. i got a little story um well, it's not a story, actually. You know, still going in the vein of, did you know? You know, when you think of Santa Claus, you think of the classic red and white Santa Claus, which is actually an invention of Coca-Cola. But Santa Claus doesn't always look like that. And there is a Santa in Russia 
and he's called Desmoroz, hmm. or Father Frost. He's the Slavic version of Santa Claus. Uh, long ago, he became the symbol of Russian winter, New Year's, and presents. He's usually accompanied by his granddaughter, oh god, Snugurochka? <laughs> you know, <laughs> screw you, yep. Russia, you just And you just say Gesundheit. Yeah, Gesundheit. <laughs> Soviet. <laughs> he's riding with an evergreen tree in traditional Russian uh, Troika, a sleigh drawn by three horses. So, his daughter, I'm just going to call her that, is a unique attribute to the image of Del Moroz because usually Santa is usually by himself, right, with the reindeers. You don't usually see him with a, a cute companion. The original Russian gift giver was St. Nicholas, the country pa patron saint, whose uh, feast day is celebrated December 6th. The image of St. Nicholas originated from the image of another hero, the ancient Morosko. In Russian folklore, Morosko is a powerful hero and a smith who chains water with his, with his iron frost. Morosko was not hostile to people. He helped them and presented them with awesome presents. In fairy tale, Morosko is at times kind and at times evil. To be precise, he is kind towards hard-working people and good-hearted people, but extremely severe with the mean and the lazy. Sounds very Russian, doesn't it? <laughs> it's not about justice only, it's rather about two personalities living in one magical person. Um, in 1917, when the Bolshevik Revolution, Dead Moroz was banished into exile. He was considered kind of a kid's god, which was impermissible during Soviet times, when Russian leaders were flatly against any manifestation of religiousness. But only 20 years later, Dead Moroz returned to the country and New Year's celebration became public. Since then, Dead Moroz and Snegosh Rushka, whatever her name is, appear on New Year's Eve, putting presents under the fir tree for the kids to find in the morning. Those wishing to make acquaintance with Desmoroz and his domestic surroundings can board trains and travel to the picturesque town of Veliki Ustug in the Vologodsky region of northern Russia, which is approximately 500 miles northeast of Moscow. We are situated in a dense taiga forest at the confluence of three rivers sits the log cabin of Desmoroz. It's a very specific yeah. <laughs> destination, right? Uh, there in Velikli Ostug, Desmoroz waits through the summer reading letters that kids from all over the country have written to him regarding the presents they wish to find under the tree for January 1st. Um, Desmoroz has a number of distinguishing features that help, him, that help tell, tell him apart from his foreign colleagues. His shirt and trousers are made of flax and they are usually decorated with white geometrical ornamental pattern. His fur coat is ankle long and is embroidered with the silvery stars and crosses. So he's got the full long coat. Sounds snazzy. Yeah, it sounds pretty snazzy. Um, he almost looks like he's wearing a scarlet robe. His hat should be red and embroidered with pearls. Desmoroz wear mittens and a white, wide belt. His footwear is luxurious, high boots with silver ornamentation. But on an exceptionally chilly day, Desmoroz can opt for Velenki, which is the wool felt boots that Russians have. Mm -hmm. And finally, he never appears outside without his spike staff made either silver or crystal. He possesses a twisted gripe. It helps with the not-so-young Desmoroz make his way through the deep, dark forest during the long winter nights. Despite his uh, respectful age and the beloved character, children often tease Desmoroz, calling him Desmoroz the Red Nose. <laughs> and that was the Russian Santa. 
Oh, I like that. Hmm. All right, that's two stories I told. Who's next? Well, I'm wondering if anybody is aware of the fact that all of the reindeer that pull Santa's sleigh must be female. Do you know this to be true? That's Yeah, I've heard yeah, that. Yeah, female reindeer retain their horns all year long, so their antlers are there. Yeah. But at the time when Santa would be pulled in his magic sleigh, the male reindeer would have shed their horns so... We know that the antlers on those reindeer indicate that they are all female, which, you know, makes sense because typically the women are doing all the work for this <laughs> season anyway. <laughs> and that would explain why one of them is named Olive. Olive? Olive? Yes. Yeah. All of the other reindeer. All of the other <laughs> Very good, Kevin. Oh, my. Good joke to finish the year. Very nice. Good joke to yeah. finish the year. Yeah, yeah. You look like you got a story, Nancy. I do. Well, considering Jews don't celebrate Christmas, so there is no Santa, I thought it only fitting that I should have a story about the Jewish Santa. The Jewish Santa. The Jewish Santa. Why would it It makes sense. This is a really, really cute story, and it was written. I'm gonna. I'm going to read this in the first person, but I'm actually taking the voice of a nice Canadian guy whose name is Bernie Farber. So this is Bernie Farber's story, and it's just love. I think it's lovely. I hope hope everybody agrees. So here we go. And Bernie writes, It's Christmas Day, and as I gaze at the palm trees, green grass, and lush vegetation outside my in-law's condo in Boca Raton, I still cannot reconcile a warm summer-like December 25th with my rich memories growing up in Ottawa, where Christmas meant mounds of snow and icy cold temperatures. Don't get me wrong, I love the idea of being able to sit on the beach, take in the sun, and read the latest John Grisham novel, but nostalgia is a powerful seducer and memory itself a warm blanket. When I was a child growing up in Ottawa in the 1950s and 60s, snow, wind, and cold seemed as inseparable from this time of year as potato latkes and Hanukkah. Being one of only a small number of Jewish families in the city, we inescapably got caught in a Christmas spirit that enveloped us all. While today arguments ensue about the proper holiday greeting, in Ottawa the latter half of the 20th century, it seemed commonplace to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. To be sure, the change has much to do with the different patterns of immigration then and now, but it also has to do with, uh, with what I can only describe as the spirit of the season. My memories of the time are rich and deep of those few days just before the Christmas holidays when I walked beside my father, who often took me to school on his way to open our small family grocery store. Despite the bitter cold, I felt warm, bundled up in my wool overcoat, scarf, and that ugly cap with sheepskin flaps that covered my ears. I still recall warmly the scrunch of the snow under our heels as we walked up the Somerset Street Hill toward my elementary school. Osgood Street Public School, established in 1898, covered kindergarten to grade six. It was an interesting hodgepodge of children, many from immigrant families that had settled in the Sandy Hill area of Ottawa just after the war. They were mostly Eastern Europeans whose first language ranged from Ukrainian to Italian with smatterings of German, Polish, and like mine, the odd Yiddish-speaking family. My younger brother Stan and I and the Cone Trims twins were the only Jewish children at Osgood Street Public School. Christmas pageants were regular and highly anticipated, highly assembly. 
holiday assembly. We all got to play roles from shepherds wearing cotton beards to angels with paper wings. I still recall my parents' sardonic smiles when I came home in early December 1960 to announce that I would be playing Joseph that year. (laughs) All the Jewish kids wanted simply to fit in. We felt so different, and Christmas, though not our holiday, was a time when the usual anti-Semitic taunts we had to endure daily gave way to cheery Merry Christmas. I love the Christmas carols, the words of which are ingrained in this day in my mind. I can still sing a mean joy to the world as well as dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. Indeed, many years later, as a social worker with the Children's Aid Society, it was this Jewish guy that led the group of foster children in carol singing during the regular Christmas parties. But my most vivid memory of the time was the Jewish-owned Freedman's Department Store on downtown Rideau Street. Many decades, decades later, it was bought by the Bay Company, but in 1960, it was still Ottawa's Christmas Winter Wonderland. A miniature train began inside the Freedman's show window, and we were all in awe, in awe as it chugged its way through Toyland toward who else but Santa Claus himself. I recall my concern at the time I departed that train and uh, decided I too would sit on Santa's lap. As I approached the white bearded man, my Jewish heart pumping a mile a minute, I wondered if an electrical bolt would be sent down from the heavens. (laughs) Turns out that Santa was none other than Moshe Gorinsky, a Jewish friend of my father's moonlighting that year as a department store clause. It was a sobering experience for a nine-year-old Jewish boy in the 60s, to be sure. Today, the season is much different. Christmas is openly shared with the many other rich faith traditions that make up Canada in the 21st century. Kwanzaa, Diwali, and my own Hanukkah celebration have all been woven into this time of year, making us all feel part of the season. And while I welcome and embrace things it embraced the changes once in a while, I cannot help to bring to mind a simpler time long ago when a young Jewish boy sat on the lap of a Jewish Santa and played Joseph in his school Christmas pageant. That's gorgeous. In the lovely I love story. It. That was a great Thank story. Thank you, Bernie well, Farber. Well, and what, <laughs> what a great what a great system that is where the school will encompass everyone learning right i mean it would be great to think too that they're also studying a little bit about the hanukkah season right and and, and santa moisha is at friedman's store right. santa moisha i love yeah. that santa moisha <laughs> <laughs> he was free that's you know, right <laughs> his time wasn't obligated by the church at that point yeah. <laughs> anybody else want to go okay well i will tell you guys so uh, you know a lot of the uh, these holidays are based around the winter solstice and here are some interesting facts um, new pagans or new age traditions all trend to center around the winter solstice on December 21st or the end of the year celebrations. There is uh, plenty of historical precedence in many cultures for such tradition. The last five days of the Mayan calendar, for example, were nameless and considered extremely dangerous along the line of the Celtic festival Samhain, which was later incorporated into Christianity as Halloween. During this period, no barriers existed between morals and gods, leaving gods free to indulge in, in some destruction. Oh, I'm going to mess that name. Soya Langwul, among the Zuni of the southwestern United States, is celebrated on the western solstice and marks the beginning of the new year. A pre-Zoroastrian festival from the 2nd millennium BCE, Shabishel, 
celebrated the winter solstice as a victory of light over darkness and as the birth of Mithras, the sun god. It survives to this day in Iran as a festival of Yelda. This is actually older than, way older than Jesus at this point. Um, in Sri Lanka, the famous Buddhist nun Shangamita is commemorated on the solstice in India. Makara Sankari, Sankati is celebrated on January 14th. The only Hindu festival not based on the lunar calendar. Most of the festivals are based on the lunar calendar and not the solar calendar. It marks the entrance of the sun into the constellation Capricorn. The festival is intended to celebrate the increase of length of days after the winter solstice. Many of the rituals involve exchanges for food and, ex and gifts. In neo-pagan traditions, Wiccans and Asatru, which is Germanic and as Icelandic neo-pagans, both celebrate Yule. Wiccans observe a single day of a Sabbath commemorating the rebirth of the sun, while the Asatru observe a 12-day festival beginning with the solstice. The Lithuanian Romuva has revived the Latvian festival of Zimetsvetsky. Oh my god, I'm massacring these names, I'm sorry. Dedicated to the birth of the Latvian creator or sky god Dievs. They celebrated this on December 23rd, 24th, and 25th. The two weeks heading up to the original festival, December 25th, were known as the Season of Ghosts. In Celtic Neo-Pagan tradition, the solstice holds significance as the major festival after Samhain. Since the 18th century, Neo-Druids have revived and celebrated as Alban Anthan. A much older Ren Day, which is December 26, celebrated in Celtic areas like Wales, Ireland, and the Isle of Man, may reflect some actual origin, original Druidic tradition. On Ren Day, Ren Boys, quote-unquote, would kill a wren and wander from house to house with musicians singing and asking for donations. Hmm. So Christmas is... <coughs> the origins of Christmas are wide and varied. It is, and that's why, you know, when you get into these war on Christmas and whether or not you should say Merry Christmas or not, when you realize that Christmas is made up of so many diverse myths and activities and cultures and countries, you know, you ought to say Merry Christmas. It's a way of acknowledging that we're all part of the same grand scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, there's very little Christianity in Christmas, right? There really I mean, is. There's, there's a nativity scene. If you go into Mass... And maybe the name, but that's it. Everything else, the trees, the mistletoe, everything, the gift-giving, the caroling is not Christian in any way, shape, or form. It's actually pagan and, and other religions, as we saw that. Yeah, you might as well you know, realize that you're, you're celebrating the, the season and the spirit of, of the season. And you know, pick, pick and choose, but you know, be, be gracious and be loving and be kind and However, anyone wants to celebrate or non-celebrate, that's wonderful. Well, <laughs> and I think that's such a good point, Nancy, is that in, in that graciousness and the gratitude, I mean, seriously, if somebody says happy holidays to you, they mm. don't tell you to, you know, go jump off a cliff somewhere, right? Yeah. I mean, how hard is it just to say, and you as well, or Merry Christmas? If yeah. that's what you're celebrating, then go ahead and respond in, in kind with what you are up to, Absolutely. but how do you identify a, smile, right? a Christian from a Jew from a right in today's current culture and society in the Western Hemisphere? Yeah. You have a story again? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> Thank uh, you for being here. <laughs> and we were just talking about like you know like the whole the giving thing and everything, and like I think it's kind of just sort of 
lopsided that we only do this only around this time of year. Right. Like we should all try to live our lives as good people. Good as in like the way as in not hurting people. Paying yeah. it forward yeah. from paying time forward. to time. Absolutely paying it forward. That's uh, it shouldn't be a season that's forgiving. That's a great idea. Yeah, it shouldn't be a it season. It shouldn't be a season forgiving. It, it should, should be a life forgiving. Well, sure, sure. Maybe it should be a life forgiving. You mean yeah. forgiving or forgiving? Yes. Year that. of Jubilee, right? <laughs> you uh, like the year of Jubilee. Why is that like once every forty years or whatever? Or why is Christmas like once a year? Or why is uh, you know like whatever? No, the first like, week. I like to do things that are good for people. Yeah. Secretly, don't tell anybody about them and just do them. Yeah. You don't have to like go and like. Like in the well, it's in the Bible. I'm going to refer- reference that. You don't have to sound a trumpet on the side of the street whenever you give it to somebody, right? Right. No, and just because we're also atheists doesn't mean we can't participate in something. Just yeah. because you're an atheist and you don't believe in, in, in Jesus doesn't mean you have to be a Grinch out there. A charitable yeah. heart is not specific to a like That's a misconception, religion. right, exactly. about atheism exactly. is that we're all like these hardened baby-eater people, right? Right. We're not. We're no. good people. <laughs> We just we just ate Christian pie, right? Absolutely <laughs> right, and it was good too. <laughs> Maybe one hundred percent pure Christian. No, you're right. You're like, I know a lot, especially a lot of the new atheists that are out there. They come out of a religion. Their first uh, impulse is to be a bit angry. They, they they're angry and they feel that they've been lied to, and they feel they've all this time they've Absolutely, wasted. And yeah. some of them will lash out. And you know that's a bit of a normal reaction. But I would say you know tone it down. Tone it down. It's you don't need to. I, I can understand you. You want the truth and you want that. But in, in a season like this, you know there is a way to be merry and still tell uh, somebody that you know the facts about whatever myth they, they want to put forward. Yeah, and you don't have to definitely. be. Part of my friendship, but you don't have to be a dick about it. Yeah. You know you can you can still be. Don't be the Grinch. Go out there and have some fun. Yeah, it's a very hard thing to lose one's faith, I'm pretty sure. And I've it gone is. through it myself way back when, too, right? You know, like everything that you've been told as a kid, well, even if you didn't believe it entirely, you know, it's still something you held on to and you kind of modeled your life or tried to uh, on that thing. It's your whole foundation for how you interact or whatever, right? In some, some people's cases, it's like all encompassing, like Muslims or hardcore fundamentalist Christians, right? So it is, I can imagine, for some people, very hard. That's why. My theory is that atheists get really, some atheists anyway, get kind of upset. It's because of that. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot, Deb, because we are told that you're about to publish your own book. Well, I'm hoping to publish my own book. This All is right. uh, something that's been long in the making and, uh, you know... With a birthday and all, uh, you know, time. Time is of the essence, as they say. Well, we're here to support you. God, I hope I didn't just, like, you know, give myself some sort of horrible omen. (laughs) Time is of the essence with a birthday upon me. Yeah, no doubt. Jupiter aligns with It's a children's (laughs) book, and it's based on, it's a concept book, and it's based on the theory that all children um, hold the great possibility right and that we should we should as a society see them as um all that they are all that possibility not one single child is without great possibility that's my belief and so um being a children's book of course it doesn't state as much but the poetry um that i've used for the basis of the book um are most in part uh lyrics to a song that i wrote for my son before he was born um, so that's that's what I'm up to these days. Okay. 
Oh, it sounds so wonderful. It sounds like the kind of book that grandparents and parents and aunts and uncles, it, it's, it's for everybody to share, you know, with a child. And what can be better than raising a child's self-esteem? Mm-hmm. Right. I, yeah. you, you have a little excerpt there. I, I do. Would you like to hear Sure. Okay. Uh, this is called Firstborn's Lullaby, uh, and it goes like this. It is the hope of every mother, black or white or any other, that all the children of the earth know the greatness of their birth. Know that you're different, not quite the same. Please accept this and don't be vain. Lend yourselves one to another, never harm or hurt each other. To all the children of the world, from all the flags that come unfurled, live your lives without despair, with diversity, and always care. Behold the stars up in the sky and never cause your mother's cry. Now hold my hand, dear firstborn child, and listen as we walk for a while. Born out of love, just as the before, the future wonders soon to adore. So innocent and serene is the nativity scene, and the wise all gather round. The trumpets did sound, the clouds they did part, and though it was night, it wasn't dark. Now that you're glowing with life, I wonder what miracles you will perform, now that you're born safe and warm. You'll be as good as the best can be. You'll love all the sights from the mountains you'll see. You'll be as wise as the wisest can be, and you'll understand the message a breeze can bring. You hold our faith as a gift from above, and you are cared for with nothing but love. Go out and find your way. For you, we pray. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, that's wonderful. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, thank you, guys. <laughs> oh, can't boy. wait to see that. We yeah, have, I know. We have it's coming. I, miss I know. I can't wait for the year to, you know, to unfold all oh, of these treasures that are going to be in this book. Yes. You know what? I, I got to say, guys, um, this is our, what, our third year now we're doing this show? We're doing We're, yeah, we're, we're coming up to 100 third. episodes uh, in the new year. In the beginning of the new year, we'll have 100 episodes in. And thank you so much for being with me on this, uh, for, for helping me, because I frankly don't think... If this was just m- myself doing the show, it would be crappy, real crappy. <laughs> All pens intended here, God forbid. Can you imagine would <laughs> be like talking to himself the whole time? Yeah, that's right. Well, it would be far from crappy. It would be like a Jeff Goldblum experience. It would be far from crappy, but together we're awesome. And, and you know what? We keep getting better and better, and I have a little announcement I want to share with you guys and with our audience at large. Uh, our friend Tyler, who's not here today, has been doing a lot of work behind the scenes, and he's actually managed to give us a green light from Joy TV. So we will see a version of Left of the Valley on the television, in the, on the airwaves, in the new year. In January, we'll be talk with them, and they're very excited at the prospect of having an atheist-based show, nice. a weekly-based show, and they're offering us a one-year contract, apparently, at this point. And Brad Pitt's uh, filling in for me, so... Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I know, now we have to... Equal. Now we all have to dress up and look human. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I got a face for radio, right? You can't see me around I was going to talk to you about that. Oh, <laughs> man. If you don't mind, it's with the underwear. At least it goes to four holes, right? Just, just shift a little in that chair. Maybe cross your legs a little yeah. more, please. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, well, we're going to clean up just fine. We may have to work at it a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll be gorgeous. Uh, well, thank you so much, guys, for being with us uh, for the show for another great year that's coming. And uh, I guess we'll see you in the next year. I'm giving you guys some time off. Enjoy time with family and friends. Coming up next year, 
Uh, we'll be talking to them in a couple of weeks. We're going to release a best of 2016 Left of the Valley. And you can follow us on uh, leftofvalley.com. You can follow us at, uh, send us a message at leftofvalley.outlook.com. Send your hate mail to nancy at leftofvalley.com. <laughs> I do, I do fine with hate mail. I <laughs> turn it into little doves sent out into the world. You can, you can follow the, uh, you, you can follow us on the iTunes, Block Talk, Speaker, uh, YouTube. Uh, if you, some of these sites like Block Talk, for example, if you sign up to them, they will send you an email saying the show is about to air so you can catch us. Uh, send us your, uh, what do you guys think of the show? What you like, what you don't like? We're certainly open to that. Ideas for what the New Year's going to bring into um, in the new year, we'll start the show with the in the new year with the uh, um, Jenny Westermeyer and Glenn Ball. We'll talk about food waste, and we'll be talking to legendary anchor John McComb about depression. So we'll probably start with a bang, and uh, we'll also talk with uh, Mr. Maybe Seth Andrews. We'll be able to bring him on board. Excellent. The voice, the velour voice of the Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah, whatever you um, celebrate or don't celebrate. Um, we, we send out our, our warm feelings to you, and we really look forward to entertaining and provoking you in the next year. Good, Yule. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know what? I usually finish with, with the song of uh, our theme song, but you know what? Well, let's not do this. It's Christmas. How about we Let's finish with something a bit more Christmassy. How about Christmas Baby? <laughs> <laughs> Christmas Baby from YouTube. How's that? Thanks, guys. Until next time. It's Christmas. Baby, please come home.